Broadcasting from the Barefoot is Legal studio in Washington, D.C. This is District Sentinel Radio Live. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are your hosts from the evening, for the evening. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in. Coming up on the show, the L.A. Teachers strike has ended. They are victorious. We will have Sarah Jaffe on the show, labor journalist and author, to talk about it. And we'll ask her about an emerging new threat against an ally to workers everywhere, talking about Scabby the Rat. Then Trump will save your life, according to another bizarre PR email. What? (laughs) Possibly a scam. Also, we got a whole bunch of racist teens lined up for this week's garbage can. Yep. Not a surprise to anyone there. No. We'll also read some poetry later for new subscribers over at patreon.com. Five bucks a month is all it takes. And you get your own haiku and you get access to daily bonus content from Pistown. Sam mentioned that the garbage can is coming up later. Voting is currently underway right now over at patreon.com slash district sentinel if you are indeed a subscriber. Well, I guess we should start tonight with the coup, huh? It's a fairly big story, yeah. I would say. Yeah, uh, I suppose that the fact that the U.S. is participating or trying to throw its support behind a burgeoning coup in Venezuela is the top story tonight. In a statement released by the White House, President Trump recognized Juan Guaido, shown here, as the legitimate leader of Venezuela despite the country's current president, Nicolas Maduro, winning re-election and being sworn into office earlier this month. Guaido is the leader of Venezuela's National Assembly, and today's announcement from Trump coincides with Gato making similar proclamations and declaring himself the leader of Venezuela at a protest with tens of thousands of people. There's also a counter protest too. Yes, of course. Yes, this isn't uh, this isn't real clear cut here. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. There was an election and there was a swearing in. Of course, the U.S. and some other countries uh, called that election illegitimate. Uh, Of course, there's Marco Rubio weighing in on the matter. Both Republicans and Democrats are reacting with glee to this coup. Marco Rubio. Real Donald Trump has officially recognized Juan Guaido as the legitimate constitutional president of Venezuela. Rubio was tweeting all day long, in fact. All week long. He'd been tweeting, like yesterday, he tweeted stuff like, oh, tomorrow is going to be a big day in Venezuela. Yeah, we saw that and we uh, had a feeling something bad was coming. Um, Andrew Gillum, remember this guy? uh, He's the guy who inspired (laughs) Democrats with his run for governor in Florida. Well, Andrew Gillum, his name's also been thrown around in 2020 as a potential VP or something. He might he might be the best Dems can do in Florida, but he he's certainly not the best foot forward. No, for uh, just general. Yeah, he made some odd comments about Venezuela uh, during the campaign, and then he tweeted this: 
Quote, Maduro is an illegitimate dictator. It's long past time for him to go. So inspired by the tens of thousands of brave protesters who are making their voices felt around the world. Again, Andrew Gillum coming out calling Maduro an illegitimate dictator that's got to go as a coup is underway in the country and as the Trump White House throws its support behind that coup, along with other countries like Canada, Brazil, Colombia, Paraguay, and the OAS, the Organization of American. We've seen a few countries come out opposed to this. Bolivia uh, came out, Evo Morales, calling this a coup. Um, Mexico. Yeah, Mexico. Calling, anyways, in general, U.S.-backed right-wing coups in, uh, in South America, they don't work out very well. But I'm guessing with Trump in charge, this one, <laughs> this one uh, has a, has has a better chance. They're overdue, especially with Trump in charge. Yeah, yeah. But for real, Venezuela has the largest oil reserves in the world. This is a big deal. What's happening right now? Bob Menendez, another Democrat who uh, has come out in support of the coup, a guy who should not be in the Senate, a guy yeah. who the Democratic Party should have run out of the Senate and yeah. tried to basically force. But he almost lost. He probably should have. Uh, quite frankly, but he didn't. He he's in support of this coup. Chris Hayes, MSNBC's Chris Hayes, oh. had a banger of a tweet on this, uh, smugly mocking criticism of the coup in a detached cable brain rot sort of way. Uh, of course, Chris says when Maduro said he received a call of support from Erdogan, the authoritarian leader of Turkey. Uh, I guess that means. All in is Team Bolsonaro. Yeah, because that's what I thought when Bolsonaro supported it and Trump supported it. I was like, of course. Yeah, of course. But Chris Chris doesn't mention any of that. That was his only tweet I saw about Venezuela. Of course. Tonight, what, what's, his, what's his rundown on MSNBC? He's going to get Pete but, Buttigag. Buttigag. Buttigies. Buttgug. Buttgugs. The India, the South Bend, Indiana mayor, who's who's uh, running a vanity campaign, who's got a book to sell, yeah, he and released, therefore is running for president. Pete Butchies released a campaign video in which all he does is talk about how he wasn't afraid of change and how it's time to move forward and look for new policies, no specifics. Like, I, I don't know what this guy's for, what this guy's against. David Axelrod tweets out, his message is crystal clear, if anyone's paying attention. Here we are. Uh, he's a long shot, but he's a gay Afghanistan veteran. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me know where he stands on shit like Medicare for All, because I don't know based on his campaign video. Liberals just, they love the story thing. This candidate has a story. They have a story. They're going to send you off to die in a war in Latin America. They have a yeah. story. Yes. And, and, and you... an awful war, too. Not just not yeah. just any war, a bad, a very bad war. Those of you who tuned in to watch us instead of Chris Hayes interviewing Bud Jeezy, you, you, you made the right choice. Made the right choice. Funny side plot uh, to today. Rubio was very obviously very horny for a coup, and <laughs> uh, he appeared to jump the gun on announcing French support for uh, Guido. Is that, is it, did I pronounce his name vaguely right? Gato. Gato. Or Gaido. Anyway, uh, so Rubio had tweeted that France 
recognized him and the Wall Street Journal's uh, Jessica Donati tweeted, France deny, quote, denies having a position on Venezuela in discussions with the U.S., but not on the same page yet. Uh, and she was, quote, tweeting Rubio, uh, who is, again, announcing uh, France's support for this coup in Venezuela that never materialized. This isn't to say that France won't do this, and this is beyond Emmanuel Macron, but just it, it, it's such a hack job by Rubio. He, he can't get his lines right posting coup support. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. He's pretty incompetent. No, and I've seen a lot of people commenting on what's going on and prefacing their comments with like, Maduro is a bad guy, but I don't think we should be supporting U.S. coups. And the second part of that is, you know, I don't think the U.S. should get involved in the coup business, even though the U.S. has been involved in the coup business for a while. But it's good to say that. But I don't think you need to preface your comments right now with Maduro is a bad guy. It sort of feeds in to the to the the neocon mission here that bad guys need to be removed from office by the U.S. And you've seen this building since Trump came into office provocations with Venezuela from the get-go. And the more that you buy into that and talk that language, especially people who aren't very familiar with what's going on in Venezuela buying into that, it just makes, it, it lays the ground for work for what we're seeing today happening. So you should be really careful about whether or not you're parroting neocon talking points while opposing U.S. supported coups. And to be clear, the opposition in Venezuela doesn't seem to have high levels no. of support. The National Assembly has about the same level of support as Maduro. But here we go. Every career is dipshit in the U.S. Across the political spectrum is for this shit. Yeah, and... And Juan Guaido's name wasn't on any ballot to lead Venezuela as the president. And, and the opposition boycotted that election. Yes. So <laughs> to, to claim that Maduro shouldn't be there because the election is illegitimate, but this guy is the true leader of Venezuela when he hasn't won any election, legitimate election or anything, that's, that's pretty bold. All right. Uh, what else we got here? We got, uh, sorry, I'm just still steaming mad at Chris Hayes. Uh, <laughs> You've been pretty ma mad at him all day. I have, I have. Anyway. I did talk you down uh, from a, a few of your drafted tweets <laughs> in response. You did, you did. Anyway, uh, the head of an airline flight attendant union has called for a general strike to oh, end the government yes. shutdown. It's, uh, it's about time. AFA International President Sarah Nelson made the call this week at an AFL-CIO conference. Quote, almost a million workers are locked out or being forced to work without pay. Others are going back to work when our workspace is increasingly unsafe. What is the labor movement waiting for? Go back with the fierce urgency of now to talk to your locals and international unions about all workers joining together. <laughs> Excuse me, joining together to end this shutdown with a general strike, end of quote. Uh, in her speech, Nelson cited safety concerns for flight attendants and workers in every industry impacted by the shutdown, which is to say every industry, hence the call for a general strike. We talk about this later with Sarah Jaffe and how difficult it would be to actually pull this off. But if people start getting behind this general strike call, we're done podcasting for a bit. Yeah. We will we'll be on the streets of D.C. We'll bring stuff to record what's going on. We don't want to turn our backs on our Patreon supporters. But we're going to have to leave the Barefoot is Legal studios for a bit. 
that would be really cool if uh, we got to get involved. And I know that ultimately the uh, 2011 protests in Wisconsin didn't succeed in overturning uh, Scott Walker's anti-union law. But if we could get some sort of uh, everyone surround the U.S. Capitol style thing going, I think that would be pretty badass. I think so, too. Uh, we're seeing the shutdown is having all sorts of effects on all sorts of things. Sam mentioned how it affects every industry, which is the need for brings about the need for a general strike. Uh, it's affecting the State of the Union, which it looks like it's officially off. Remember, Pelosi sent the letter to Trump citing security concerns. Trump sent a letter back saying security concerns are fine. I plan to deliver the State of the Union address. And Nancy Pelosi just said that the House will not take part in a resolution inviting Trump to give the State of the Union. So now the White House says it's looking into an alternate event that they're going to hold. But maybe it will work out because we are officially right now on cave watch. That's right. Cave watch. Democrats may be caving at any moment to reopen the government. Politico reporting the Democratic leadership not a band of obscure Democrats or the Problem Solvers Caucus, but leadership like Nancy Pelosi are preparing legislation that they hope will end the shutdown. It's a deal that gives but makes him promise he can't build an actual wall, but instead a smart wall or something <laughs> instead. House number two, Steny Hoyer, Democrat Steny Hoyer said, quote, we are prepared to spend a very substantial sum of money because we share the view that our borders need to be secure. <laughs> right there, the face of someone who is about to cave. Although the thing is, Trump probably still won't take this deal because he still wants to build his big fucking wall. But if Trump, if his brain wasn't mush right now, he'd take the deal declare victory, say the Democrats caved and gave me everything I wanted, and there's not much the Democrats could say. They gave them, they're buying into this racist trope of the need for border security. Yeah. We have a secure border. Yeah. Immigration's all-time all low. And, and people are crossing the border in an unauthorized way. Uh, and they're getting, because, they're getting apprehended. <laughs> well, they're getting apprehended, but I was going to say they're also fleeing. Yes. Uh, which is collapsing <laughs> states that are mostly U.S. clients in Central America. But they're not Venezuela. The fun. <laughs> Sorry, just circling back to Venezuela. Some of the funniest uh, and saddest commentary I've seen uh, about the migrant caravan is notice how the migrants aren't fleeing to Venezuela. <laughs> Sorry, I, I know I told you that I would try to be less online when we did this show. I, I know I, I'm not talking about anyone significant there, anyone of importance, just uh, sort of third order Twitter stuff. But anyway, I uh, just throwing the, it out there. The coup in Venezuela, the ongoing government shutdown, all that likely overshadowed in liberal media by this news. Trump is allegedly threatening Michael Cohen. This from Michael Cohen's attorney, Lanny Davis, saying, quote, due to ongoing threats against his family by President Trump and Mr. Giuliani, as recently as this weekend, as well as ongoing cooperation with the special prosecutor's office, Cohen's February 7th testimony before Congress will be postponed. 
The statement adds, quote, this is a time where Mr. Cohen had to put his family and their safety first. Uh, I don't know. Lanny Davis has has fed spoonfuls of bullshit to the media already a few times in regard to his client. So I'm not sure if to me, the most likely scenario here is Cohen can't really testify all that much if he's still working with Mueller. So maybe this is more Mueller telling him not to testify and he's trying to hype it up that he's being threatened by Trump's tweets or whatever. But then again, I wouldn't put it past Trump and his bozos like Giuliani to actually threaten Cohen over stuff. No, I, I acting I like wouldn't. mobsters or whatever, because that's generally how Trump likes to act, even though I'm not sure he's like a real deal mobster. We've yeah, talked about this. I mean, there might you think be. He's like, you think he's ordered no, a hit on anyone? You think no. Trump's like a real deal mobster? I don't well, think he is. No, he's just a spoiled rich kid yeah. who launders a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, likely uh, just <laughs> covering my legal bases yeah, I don't there. think Cohen has anything to be afraid of here, other well, than going to jail himself for I, all of his crimes. So I think there might be a gray area here. I think Cohen may have been threatened by uh, some sort of MAGA chud. Mm. And... In the uh, whatever, they're, they're maybe they're trying to gin this up and uh, somehow tie it, to, it directly to Trump and Giuliani. Not to put it past them. I, I could see them doing something. But knowing what we know about <clears throat> people who uh, cross the conservative party, uh, the Republican Party in the age of Trump, Christine Blasey Ford, has she been back to her house? You know? I mean, I know it's easy to dismiss Michael Cohen because yeah. he's. I mean, the he's statement says specifically Trump and Giuliani. So, <laughs> I'm, like, uh, is there some back mess, back channel messaging going on to Cohen where these threats are happening? Because in public, they're just kind of speaking nonsense and acting oafish. I, I mean, Giuliani. is yeah, is Trump also personally threatening to attack Cohen? Because I mean, Trump can barely eat a double cheeseburger without sweating. So is he, I I don't know. Yeah. The wheels are coming off the Biden 2020 bus. Oh no. (laughs) Say it ain't so Joe. According to today's New York times, Biden gave a speech last year to a conservative audience for $200,000. And in the speech, he praised incumbent Republican Congressman Fred Upton who ended up winning re-election in November in a close race, one in which Upton touted his bipartisan credentials. Here's what a local Democratic Party chair had to say about Biden and his speech, reading now from the Times story. Eric Lester, quote, said he viewed Mr. Biden's supportive remarks about Mr. Upton as a betrayal. Mr. Lester, who attended the speech, said he had confronted an aide to Mr. Biden in the hallway, telling him the former vice president had badly damaged the Democratic cause. It just gives Fred Upton a cover and makes it possible for him to continue to pretend to be a useful bipartisan fellow, Mr. Lester recalled saying, adding, I entered the hall with positive feelings about Mr. Biden and felt very frustrated. Uh, By the way, Upton's Democratic opponent, Matt Longjohn, reached out to Biden's people after his speech, and they were met with silence. Upton is a guy who voted to repeal Obamacare, but Bernie's not a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, this is this is more egregious than anything Bernie did to harm Democrats, and yet the crowd that 
Complain. Bernie's not Bernie's not a Democrat will not say anything about this. Bernie has never done any, yes. anything to harm yes. Democrats. He's only helped the problem, Democrats. Yeah, that's right. part of his problem. <laughs> yeah, if anything, that's part of Bernie's problem. Is he's he's helping Democrats too much. But nevertheless, this is this is an interesting story uh in the context of Joe like right now, Joe Biden basically seems like the front runner if you look at polling numbers. And uh Stories like this will only hopefully make it go down. Yeah. All right. Let's check what's going on in the inbox. The time of the show where we read bizarre, shitty emails from Pistown Merchants. And boy, we've got a bit of a doozy here today that you found, Sam. Subject, shocking why Trump won't be impeached from... Christian response alerts. <laughs> Reader, if you listen to the media, Trump's days are numbered. He's on his way out with nothing to stop him, and liberals are rejoicing over his impeachment like it's a done deal. But what none of them know is that Trump has a surprise in store for America, one that could not just preserve his presidency, but guarantee his election victory mm. in 2020. What's more, it could make America's health great again, no matter what happens to Obamacare. Just wait until you discovered what the, excuse me, just wait until you discover what the Donald has up his sleeve and how it could save your life or that of a loved one. You won't believe this until you see it. Click here to get the full story. To all your good health, Al Sears, MD. Did you click? No, I didn't want a computer virus. This is like, this is a window into how conservatives are so easy to get scammed because they click on shit like this. I was a little curious. But what do you think's under his sleeve? (laughs) I think what's under his sleeve is a link to probably something that Al Sears wants to sell you. Is it single payer healthcare? (laughs) I mean, what else is going to save me and my family and possibly guarantee a re-election victory for Trump in 2020? <laughs> I, I mean, that would that would be a logical answer, but I don't think Al Sears has, Dr. Al Sears has that kind of insight. What do the listeners think? Should we click on this and find out and let you all know next episode? You can click on I'm it intrigued. from your computer. I you will, can click on it from your computer. Should I click on it right now? Don't don't get a virus. What are people don't, saying? What are people saying in the fucking, chat room? Don't be that fucking uh, stupid. All right. Well, I'll I'll defer to the audience here <laughs> on what I should do, and I'll, I'll do oh, it. Oh, great peer pressure. Uh, I'll do I'll do it a bit later in the show, I guess. All right. Uh, a lot of news to draw from right now to gauge the strength of the labor movement in America. On the one hand, we have another teacher strike. This one in L.A., which ended. With the teachers prevailing, on the other hand, you have hundreds of thousands of Americans going to work for free because of the government shutdown. It's lasted a month, and only now, as Sam talked about earlier in the show, is there a whiff whiff of potential labor action. And then there's the persistent threat of corporate lawyers trying to weaken labor laws and making it more difficult to organize, the latest being an attack against an icon within the labor movement, Scabby the Rat. Anyway, we have a great guest on the show to talk about all of these issues, and she joined us a little earlier today. 
Okay, we are joined now on the internet by Sarah Jaffe, labor journalist and author. Her latest book is titled Necessary Trouble. She's also a reporting fellow at the Type Media Center. And we wanted to talk to you, Sarah, about Scabby the Rat, the assault on Scabby the Rat going on. But first, of course, the big news, there's been... uh, the end of the L.A. teacher strike. Break down how successful uh, this was for the teachers. Yeah, I am still recovering from my time in Los Angeles because I had to like wake up at 6 a.m. every morning and sit in Los Angeles traffic to get to a picket line and then go to a big downtown rally, all of this in the rain. It was It was a lot. It was a really, really incredible show of strength by the labor movement, by teachers, by community allies, parents, students, to win a contract that wins not just wage increases, wage increases are important, obviously, but demands across like a broad spectrum of things that really broaden the idea of what a union can bargain over. So we're talking about everything from class size and hiring more librarians and more nurses and more counselors to more green space on school campuses and some new um, provisions around charter school co-locations and pushing back on random searches of students in schools. And the district is going to fund an immigrant rights hotline. So the district will pay for an attorney and a phone number that parents and students can call if they're being threatened with deportation or other things. So it's a really, really impressive deal that shows you that when unions think outside of just wages and benefits, they can really bring together a big, broad coalition that makes it very, very hard for school boards and mayors and superintendents who come from Wall Street to challenge them and say that they're doing what the public wants. I guess that answers my next question, because this is happening as we are constantly being told that organized labor is on the decline, working people are losing their power, and a lot of that is true. Organized labor has been on the decline for a long time. There's been a concerted attack against it. So how would you explain these wildly successful teacher strike campaigns that we've seen, not just in L.A., but proceeded in other places around the country? Does it it speak to uh, the, the nature of the job, the importance of being a teacher? Does it speak to these... Uh, coalitions that you spoke to in the first yeah. uh, in, in your first answer um, or does it speak to a, a resurgence of power in organized labor that we're just at the be maybe early stages of seeing again I think kind of all of the above what I would say is that teachers unions have been at the forefront of fighting back against austerity since 2008 and when you look back at the reform movements in some of these unions that have had successful strikes whether it's Chicago or Los Angeles they're really rooted in 2008 so I spoke to some teachers who had been involved in organizing civil disobedience protests after teacher layoffs in 2008 one of the teachers who had been laid off in that Um, struggle, Rosa Jimenez, who is in my latest piece at The Nation, um, her work in organizing with the community and organizing with teachers and thinking about organizing to change the union really began back then. And it's, you know, so that was immediate response to austerity to teachers being laid off. And that kind of thing has shaped 
again, the massive class sizes that we now see in Los Angeles, where I talked to a teacher who had 49 students in an AP U.S. history class, which is just insane. Like I, he said he had students that had to stand because they didn't have enough desks. Oof. So when you think about what we've faced in the last um, going on 11 years since the financial crisis, it was up of everything that had already been happening, right? All the attacks on the working class, all of the decline of living standards for working people, and the shuffling of wealth upward into the hands of the Davos class, who are all like giggling about it right now as we speak. You see, healthcare. But the thing about schools is that everybody's gone to one. Everybody remembers a teacher that they love. There's a connection there and they're in every community. So even when charter schools are sort of taking over this space, you still have these schools as this place in the community where you can see the idea of the public sector working. And it turns out that that's something people will actually defend. The, uh, some of the teachers, uh, actions we've seen since 2008 uh like in la thinking also about the uh chicago teacher strike uh i think it was what 2011 and these are cities that are run by the democratic party uh Mm -hmm. and in in some ways i feel like it, it 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 seems that this is connected not just um, with the sort of uh, philosophy behind these strikes, because Chicago, it was also non-wage uh, and hour issues that mm-hmm. teachers were coming yeah. out to protest. And I, I guess what I'm getting at is the Democratic Party and their uh, <laughs> relationship with unions for a long time yeah. has been very, uh, very much about business unionism and mm-hmm. how can we sort of work with the bosses together uh, to make yeah. sure we we get paid, and now we're seeing more yeah. resurgence of social unionism. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess, are you worried about going forward the Democratic Party co-opting this uh, this new movement and getting it back to where it was before, when it was just <clears throat> hand in hand with the with the Democratic Party uh, going in circles, going nowhere? I mean, I think we saw Democrats certainly sort of come out in favor of this strike in a way that they haven't previously. Uh, That's not to say that Cory Booker was not still in New Orleans speaking at a charter school event while the L.A. teachers were on strike because Cory Booker got a Cory Booker. (laughs) But like, (laughs) but, but, you know, like. The DNC put out a statement in support of the teacher strike on Monday. This is a a big change. But in California, you know, it's Democrats all the way down, right? This is a state that is fully in control, uh, in the control of the Democratic Party. Um, You have a new governor, Gavin Newsom, who really wants to be seen as progressive. You have this smarmy mayor in LA who thinks he's running for president, Eric Garcetti, who also wants to be seen as progressive, who like inserted himself in as mediator in bargaining once the strike went on. And, you know, you definitely see Democrats realizing that they can't keep beating up on teachers unions because teachers unions actually have power. And so, I mean, that's what power looks like, right? Is that everybody suddenly comes running and wants to be your buddy. And that's, Mm. 
you know, that's, that's a sign of winning. The question is whether, you know, you look at that and say, all right, we have actual power, we can continue to make demands and win more. Or whether you start to think that like, these guys are our buddies now. And therefore, you know, we endorse them 19 months out or whatever it was that the AFT endorsed Hillary Clinton, um, (laughs) when you have really no leverage, right? And that those are the questions that like, I wonder about, but I don't think we're in any danger of this union right now being, you know, won over by the overtures of the Democratic Party. They've been fighting Democrats too long for that. Yeah, I I guess I was uh, uh, speaking uh, or or trying to bring it up more in broad terms uh, than talking about the uh, L.A. teachers. But uh, Mm -hmm. I guess a, a good barometer for uh, a, an answer to my question is whether or not Rahm Emanuel will speak at, <laughs> at the uh, Democratic National Convention in 2020. If he's there, oh, then Rahm. we all would like to see uh, teachers unions with more power. I guess it supposes, I mean, supposes yeah. on the candidate who wins, but yeah. Yeah, true. Rahm is, I mean, I don't know what he's going to be doing by then because he won't be mayor anymore. He'll probably be lobbying. He'll probably work for some investment firm or something. He's he's I mean go back to his roots as a Chicago Board of Trade. Maybe he'll run for Congress again or something. Anyway. I mean Maybe he'll just dump a bunch of manure in a swimming pool and dive right in. (laughs) Probably not. We should all be so lucky. No, it's interesting. Somebody asked me yesterday if um, you know, this was Bernie's world now, and I kinda said this is Karen Lewis. And um, none of these, none of the people, including Bernie, sort of running for the Democratic nomination, know how to talk about all of these issues and in a fashion the way that like the CTU and now the UTLA have done. And so, you know, I still think we have a long way to go before you see any major political parties sounding like these unions. Um, and I mean, we, the question of business unionism sort of brings us right to scabby, doesn't it? <laughs> This idea that you can sort of get along with the boss, whether the boss is a local Democratic Party elected official or, um, you know, the head of Verizon or, you know, your local contractor, whatever, is has been proved to be a failing proposition. Right. It doesn't work that way. The bosses sort of bided their time for a little while during the 50s and 60s and then just came right out back in the 70s with a whole new um, sort of arsenal of weapons to use against unions. Um, I really recommend Lane Windham's recent book on the subject because you can really see that like there's never been a time when the bosses weren't trying to figure out how to break unions. And we are not gonna win anything ever for working people by sort of going along nicely again no matter who that is that's not to say that like oh unless we go along nicely with bernie like no like at some point you're gonna have to fight bernie too yeah so uh you brought up scabby that uh, i I think is a a a good time to uh transition to uh, our friend who has been in the news the general counsel of the uh, National Labor Relations Board, Peter Robb, has, according yeah. to Bloomberg, is trying to bring the hammer down on Scabby and uh, declare that bringing Scabby to protest is not protected, concerted activity. 
Uh, what do you make of this uh, reported legal theory? And uh, what, what, what kind of other things do you think that could open the door to? And why must Scabby <laughs> be protected at all costs? Scabby must be protected at all costs. Um, so I think that, you know, the real problem is just that, like, again, bosses don't like the rat. I mean, this guy is a former management side attorney. So, you know, it's not a surprise that he doesn't like the rat. Nobody likes to, like, roll up to their workplace and see a giant rat outside. In fact, I saw Scabby on the street this morning. I should tell y'all that I was, you know, I was going to, I was on 25th and 7th Avenue. And I saw Scabby on a truck just chilling. There was no picket line or anything. There was just just a good old Scabby the rat sitting on the, on the truck. Yeah, we're we're showing our audience a picture of that. Yeah, the uh, so, YouTube audience gets. Sometimes Scabby is off work and not just no, dealing I mean, with I'm labor disputes. Sure Scabby was working, but um, oh, okay. You well. know, you just you see this, and it's great, right? Because people just you just like drop him right there, and everybody knows what that means. Sca- so this is you know we love Scabby. I remember Scabby made an appearance at the Jacob Wool press conference here in DC <laughs> like a few yeah. months ago. You, yeah. you you wrote about Scabby in 2013, right? There, yeah, there's a bit of a the there's a bit of an interesting uh, history behind Scabby, and uh, are there there are not new developments on this uh, that we can talk about, or or is that? I mean, so Scabby is only about uh, 30 years old, right? Scabby goes back to the night the early 90s or late 80s. And it's like 210 in rat years. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And like, this was a, you know, an invention of workers who were like, Hey, we need a, a symbol for this, um, for a bad workplace. We need, you know, we've used the rat before we've used the rat to symbolize a bad employer or the scabs who cross the picket line or any of those things. And, um, I think, you know, Scabby grew immediately when people saw the rat for the first time. They were like, that's amazing. We need our own. So now they come in different colors. They come in different sizes. There are like variations on Scabby. You can get Scabby with like teeth bared or holding some cheese. And then, you know, people added to that. There's like a fat cat or, or the businessman pig um, that you can get. And it's all... It's got Scabby on a leash maybe or... <laughs> Well, you know, the thing about it is that like strikes and this is, you know, connecting back to L.A., like strikes and and workplace actions can be a lot of fun. And one of the things that keeps it going because it's hard, you're not getting paid, you're risking your job, you don't know what the outcome is going to be like. It's a real sacrifice. And so anything that makes it more fun, that sort of creates a culture around workplace action that creates a culture around don't cross a picket line right is important and like we lost a lot of that culture so the fact that scabby is sort of a creature of labor's down period is i think particularly suited and this is why you know those of us who lived in cities where we see scabby regularly feel like this very particular affection for the rat because it's like a sign that labor is not dead you know we're still here we're still fighting here's the rat screw you to the boss um and the reason I wrote that piece back in 2013 with Molly and Molly's wonderful illustrations everybody should go look at um, is because the this 
one of the building trades leaders had said that we want to retire the rat because he doesn't reflect our value proposition. And, you know, that's what we mean by business unionism, right? That like, oh, if we're nicer to the boss and the boss will stop trying to kill us. Yeah. No, the whole idea of capitalism is that you have to pay people less money than the work they put in is worth so that you can recoup the profits. That's the entire theory. Um, and so the boss is never going to like be nice to you if you're just nice back, because that would not be in his interest, because that would undermine the entire system of capitalism. So, you know, we fight back the best way we can. And one of those is by having a giant inflatable rat that really <laughs> pisses off bosses and boss side attorneys. <laughs> it, uh, it, I think it's free speech, right? I don't even think it's concerted activity. I think it's just straight up free speech. So that that is a reason why uh, it might ultimately be rejected by the courts. Uh, yeah. but, but the very fact that like the executive branch even thinks it can get away with banning a fucking inflatable rat. Like <laughs> what, what does that say about American labor law? Well, it shows how I mad mean, they are. Yeah. It shows that they're mad. It really tells us something about who's on Trump's NLRB, right? That this guy is like, not only mad that workers have rights, he's mad that they have an inflatable rat. <laughs> like, come on, man, come on. Don't you have better things to do? Apparently not. I mean, it's certainly he's not doing that much work uh, deciding cases, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just funny, right? It's like I don't know what his argument would be. You know, you you can't have a a rat, okay? Can we have a, an inflatable cat? Can we have a bunch of red balloons? What is it that you're going to ban here? Like, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, you would have to argue somehow that the, that it was a content neutral ban on speech, right? Which it's obviously not if you're banning just unions from having it. Like what if somebody else brings the rat? What if like I bring the rat and I'm not in that union? Like how do you ban the rat? Yeah, well, fortunately- Take a First Amendment law course once upon a time. I'm like actually <laughs> trying to think this through, huh? For is possibly subject for another- podcast another day but the the trump's nlrb has been incompetent in a lot of ways and trying to incompetent uh, or doing exactly what it was put there to do yes but i i mean well i was <laughs> i was thinking as well as the uh the the joint employer fiasco uh okay. where bill emmanuel had to recuse himself because uh his his old employer was involved in the case and uh and they got totally self-owned there but anyway i'm i'm, I'm just sort of rambling here well, we'll uh, stay up to date on Scabby the Rat and the assaults <laughs> against him. But uh, before we let you go, Sarah, I wanted just to get you to comment on our current situation where we yeah. have a bunch of uh, federal workers who've been going to work for weeks without pay, um, facing all sorts of uh, financial hardships as a result, pawning yeah. stuff off, uh, you know, making all sorts of sacrifices, food or medication, and yeah. yet still going to work uh, for the most part for free, unsure of when they're ever going to get paid again. Yeah. Yeah. What does that say, I guess? It, yes, we just saw a very successful uh, labor action among teachers in mm -hmm. LA, but what does that say, I guess, about the passivity of a certain sector of the uh, US labor force? Well, you know, we did just hear from uh, the head of the flight attendants union that, you know, perhaps we should start thinking about a strike. And, you know, notably, that is not a union that is actually employed directly by the federal government or that the workers rather employed directly by the federal government. But, you know, there's 
Good reason to be cautious. Um, we should all remember when Ronald Reagan fired every single air traffic controller when they went on strike, and Trump would love to do the same thing if there was an illegal strike. And I think, you know, that's that's one thing. The other thing is that, right, we have, it took years and years for the UTLA to rebuild to a union that could pull off this strike. And we've seen nothing along those lines in most unions in this country. Um, we've seen some reform movements. We've seen some efforts along, you know, political rebuilding, along political education in some places, CWA among others. But we haven't seen a real top to bottom realization that you need to have fighting, organized, strong unions that aren't afraid to strike in order to win anything right now. And then add to that, like a lot of the federal workers who aren't getting paid right now, or if they're in unions, they're in unions that are like straight up reactionary. Like, I don't want the border patrol going on strike. They'd probably demand we build the wall, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, the border patrol endorsed Trump. So, um, this is, there's a lot of questions here about why and how and where it's not surprising to me that like TSA is this, the, the, group of workers that we've heard the most about protesting but it is nuts to think about right the fact that like people are just going to work every day for free with no promise of back pay no promise of anything and that's just like they think they have no choice it's a pretty you know pretty depressing state of the uh union i guess uh is there even going to be one of those this year? Well, I get they're 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 Y'all bickering about it. Looks like do. Trump clapped back at Nancy today, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're hoping that God. it gets canceled. We think it's such a stupid for posterity's sake. Yeah, like if cancel not, it forever, please. If yeah. nothing else, maybe the Trump era will bring us the cancellation of the State of the Union and the White House Correspondents Dinner, and uh, maybe I you were may say the White House, and I was going to well that too, there. that too. Yeah, I should have just stopped. Maybe the Senate. House. Maybe the Senate. Uh, Sarah, In which case, it'd be about a walk. <laughs> Sarah Jaffe, uh, reporting fellow at the Tight Media Center, author of Necessary Trouble, recently in L.A. covering the uh, UTLA teacher strike. Friend of Scabby, comrade of Scabby, thank you Always. so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Sarah. I always want to be introduced as friend of Scabby from now on. Nice. <laughs> You can use that in your uh, Twitter bio. And we are back live in Pistown, the Sentinel Boys. Thanks again to Sarah for coming on the show. And as we mentioned earlier, Nancy has clapped back indeed. And looks like the State of the Union is indeed off. So maybe Trump has killed off the State of the Union. I guess we'll see. Anything going on? Well, I know what's going on in the chat room here. Everybody <laughs> is suggesting that we take precautions, but click on the link if it looks safe here to determine why Trump won't be impeached and what he has up his sleeve that uh, can make America's health great again. So I'm hovering over this link and it's taking me to news.ob.wethealliance.com which seems safe. I'm going to open it in an incognito window. What do you think? Wait, 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 wait you seem worried about this. 
I mean, uh, do you think our our listeners and viewers would lead us astray on this? I I mean, I think they're curious as to what clicking would do. I googled Al Sears MD, uh, Doctor Al. The first result, Doctor Al Sears MD reviews. Is it a scam or legit? Uh, he's got a two point seven a star rating on Hiya. Com. I clicked on the link in an incognito window. It's it's happening. We can't. We've gone. Doctor Al Sears, MD, is a natu- naturopathic doctor who claims to use a variety of natural holistic therapies and supplement. This guy is the Jill Stein of the right. I'm okay, sorry. I shouldn't take a dig to, at the Green Party. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I, like all it's done is it's lead me to some weird website here. I think I can actually show it <laughs> they they appear to be basically repeating donald trump just made maybe. his biggest move that could free us from the stranglehold of the 1.2 trillion dollar farm i okay at this point i think we're just giving free press to uh to kooks so yeah uh yeah i think it's some um, scam or something trump's move <laughs> See, I think whatever it is, we're going to have to wait a long time and watch it. Oh, they're t- they're talking about how the FDA is killing people. And uh <laughs> okay. okay. All right, all right. I, all right I, I, there. Enough of that. Yeah. Uh, I guess the important thing is you probably don't have a virus. No, I don't think I have a virus. But you're probably going to get a lot of uh Spam. A lot of weird ads, a lot of emails for things, uh, possibly Iraqi dinar scams. <laughs> You're gonna get sent those. Yeah. You're the guy now. You you are you've proven by clicking, you have proven yourself to be a target for the uh the conservative scam demographic. Yeah, I'm the next I'm the next Podesta here. I'm gonna just click on anything <laughs> and type in my password. All right, we're going to get to haikus here in a second, but you you wanted to respond to a tweet, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Sam Knight, obviously, Sam Knight 1 was nuked. Sam Knight underscore 1 was then nuked. Sam Knight has had two Twitter accounts nuked, so he can't personally respond to tweets anymore except in a form on this show. So you saw a tweet from The Hill, Sam, Uh, quoting Rudy Giuliani, who said, I'm worried my gravestone will say, quote, he lied for Trump. You want to respond to this tweet? Not if you're disinterred, you fucking goon. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Well done. Sam Knight responds to tweets. That goes out to everybody. The DC Sentinel on Twitter. You'll get some of the same voice. Some of the same voice. It's not me, Twitter mods. It just... Uh, no. no. You can't prove it. <laughs> All right. As we promised, it's time to read some poetry here. All new subscribers on Patreon get a haiku written in red on air for them. Just five bucks a month. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Same night. Go first. This is for LP3. What happened to the music? Oh, there it is. Anyway, this is for LP3. 
GOP heroes, a plan that can't backfire, racist teens for prez. Thank you, LP3. This one goes out to Keith. Morning hit on Fox. Interviews at noon and eight. Glenn Greenwald's schedule. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Keith. This is for Joey Fat One. Bill Gates at Davos. A better scenario. Bill Gates Volcano. (laughs) Thank you, Joey Fat One. Or Joey Fatone. Oh, uh... It's Joey Fat One. Yeah, the 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 O is capital. <laughs> you, yeah, you got it there on your third try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally, this one goes out to working people. Serious people have argued if hot pockets are just sandwiches. Thank you. It's true. They have working people. Everyone on Twitter seems to think the sandwich is is something. A sandwich debate is interesting. Yeah, it's not really. No, no. Again, thank you to all the new subscribers on Patreon. Patreon dot com slash District Sentinel. Also, omelets definitely not a sandwich. You don't think omelets are a sandwich, Emma? No, <laughs> they definitely aren't. All right, it's. It's the only fun sandwich opinion worth talking about is Emma's omelets are sandwiches, which is ridiculous. They're not. uh, Obviously, they're not. Yeah, obviously not. All right. Well, we've reached the end of the show. Intern Nate is actually in the house, uh, as is customary for the second half of our show. He is making and eating dinner. You might be able to hear him in the background at the trough. Uh, Nate. Thank you. Here they come. Right this way. Bring it in. Bring it in. Come on down. There we go. Oh, man. It smells like Chuck Schumer. (laughs) That's where all those old diapers came from. All right. All right. Right there's good. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Let's get this started. Garbage candidate number one, Covington Catholic Racists. So uh, you know the story by now. A bunch of private school dweebs from suburban Cincinnati came to Washington, D.C. for an anti-abortion march, and they did some racism while they were here. Wearing Trump MAGA hats, they mobbed an indigenous activist, Nathan Phillips, by mocking indigenous culture and aggressively chanting at him in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Establishment conservative lanyards have been making excuses for these repugnant junior frat boys because the future of the Republican Party is a preppy fascist youth mob. It might not be, however, if we throw the Covington Catholic racists in the garbage can where their country club daddies won't be able to hire them publicists. Garbage candidate number two, Jake Tapper. Oh, look, the CNN newsman is nominated again. This time it's for falling for or willfully promoting PR propaganda on behalf of racist teenagers, the same ones that comprise garbage candidate number one. Now, within hours of that video dropping of Covington Catholic kids mocking a Native American, one of the teens in the video had hired a PR firm, or his parents hired a PR firm, to spin the story 
Tapper tweeted out claims made by the PR firm that the video that went viral didn't depict the whole situation, which is, I guess, partially true since other videos released since then have shown that these kids are definitely racist assholes, sexist assholes. Tapper also tweeted out a Reason article defending the racist teens. What Tapper didn't tell his audience and what explains why Tapper was the first to amplify messages in defense of the MAGA teens was the connection between Tapper and the PR firm working on behalf of one of the teens, a firm called RunSwitch. One of, one of RunSwitch's partners, Scott Jennings, is a regular guest on CNN and has been on Jake Tapper's show. The funny thing is Jake Tapper absolutely loves the troops and the man who was harassed Nathan Phillips, he was a veteran. So I guess in this episode, we see the limits of Tapper's adoration for the troops. Jake Tapper is nominated for the garbage can. Garbage candidate number three, NBC. The major network also helped do PR work for the racist teens. Savannah Guthrie gave Nick Sandman, the head-smirking dweeb, an interview which aired on NBC today this morning. Guthrie asked tough questions like, what's going through your mind? Why didn't you walk away? Do you think if you weren't wearing that hat, this might not have happened? Guthrie also gave Sandman a platform to call Nathan Phillips the aggressor and to claim he didn't hear any tomahawk chop chants or chants of build the wall from his friends. They were all just doing the school spirit things. In authoritarian nationalist garb, NBC is kissing the ass of these pricks because its executives and corporate sponsors sympathize with them and need these sociopaths to take their jobs one day. It's a trash fucking network and it's nominated for the garbage can. And since we're nominating NBC, we're also nominating Chris Hayes for his insipid tweet about Venezuela. I have no objection. Garbage candidate number four, Glenn Greenwald. Here I am talking about Glenn again. I don't enjoy doing this, but he was nominated and sufficiently seconded, and he did go on Fox News again, this time Laura Ingram's racist show, to decry a trial by Twitter mob against the Covington Catholic MAGA students. For anyone keeping track at home in the last week or so, Greenwald has appeared on Fox News not to break through their racist right-wing propaganda, but instead to participate in it by rushing to the defense of Tulsi Gabbard and now the Covington Catholic MAGA chuds. The weird thing about all this is Glenn is well aware of the shit he gets from going on Fox and he's well aware of the arguments against him going on and that the people making those arguments are generally supporters of him, like myself, and yet he refuses to listen to any of them and instead is increasing the number of times he appears on the racist programming. And the more times he goes on, the more self-righteous he gets on Twitter about going on. And then he goes on more. Glenn needs to log off for a bit. He needs to stay off Fox News also. But until then, he's nominated for the garbage can. Imagine what Glenn could do if he just logged off for like I mean, we know 90 minutes do, yeah. a day. <laughs> By the way... Uh, for those maybe uh, wanting to defend Glenn here, we just nominated NBC and yeah. Chris Hayes. So yeah, yeah, we just want Glenn <laughs> you, to stop going on Tucker's show. You, you, and 
Laura Ingram show. Like, that's it. It's pretty simple. He doesn't need to go on those shows. It's possible to hate both MSNBC the, and Fox News. The thing about it is we've now talked about this for two weeks in a row. I've gotten in arguments with Glenn on Twitter about the same issue, and he's just going on more, so I'm just going to stop talking about it because it's obviously not working, and he doesn't give a shit. He, he tweeted at you, like, days after. <laughs> days after I this was over. I am somewhat living in his head, but... All right, moving on to garbage candidate number five, Kamala Harris. Harris officially entered the 2020 race this week. With it, a bunch of obnoxious rich people and a lot of support for shitty policies. As California AG, Harris supported jailing the parents of kids who skipped school and the continued imprisonment of wrongly convicted inmates. She also opposed legislation legislation, excuse me, forcing the AG to investigate shootings by cops and has also supported the death penalty. As Laura Basilton pointed out in the New York Times, Harris was also late to support marijuana legalization. 2014 was the year she finally supported it. She didn't come out in support of a ballot initiative reducing low-level felonies to misdemeanors. To the extent a progressive prosecutor can, ex- can exist, Harris is not one. Senator has also taken disgusting stances on foreign policy, namely namely her gushing support for Israel. She might be better than Trump, but marginally. She's a bad candidate, a careerist, and has a gross reactionary streak like her vapid consultant class based on Twitter. So we're forming an exploratory committee to throw Kamala Harris in the garbage can. Finally, garbage candidate number six, Senator Sherrod Brown. Democrat is likely contender for 2020, but boy, did he put forward an awful idea. He told Politico that it's, quote, easy to say Medicare for all and make a good speech, but see no action, which is why he's looking to expand Medicare to certain demographics first. One proposal would give retiring police and firefighters access to Medicare before 65. Not teachers or nurses or social workers or, I don't know, everybody, but cops and firefighters. I guess blue lives really do matter more. Pretty tone-deaf policy as the Black Lives Matter movement has raised awareness of the deep flaws in our policing system and our healthcare system. Also, like cops, continues to literally kill people. Let's fix our healthcare system, but just for the cops. Just for the cops. So close to uh, getting the right message. I think Sherrod Brown's heart is in the right place, but it's a cynical political ploy. And for that, he's nominated for the garbage can. All right, we've got Sherrod Brown. We've got Kamala Harris. We've got Glenn Greenwald. We've got NBC. We've got Jake Tapper. We've got Covington Catholic kids. The votes are in. They've been counted. And one garbage candidate received the most most votes by far in a landslide. Covington Catholic racists, you are going in the garbage can. Oh, yeah. It's already already filled with uh, all your hats in there already. Oh, oh, there go. Oh, there are a bunch of rejection letters from colleges. Oh, wait, just kidding, because their lives aren't ruined. And colleges oh, look, love taking a, a lot of money from, from rich News. fucking people. Oh, look. Invites Na- from the White House. Oh, look. Now suddenly you all have careers as fucking conservative talk radio hosts. That's the show. If you liked what you watched, consider subscribing over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month. 
get access to all sorts of bonus contents, newscasts, interviews, reports, live streams. Subscribe to our SoundCloud, where we release free audio content on a near daily basis. SoundCloud.com slash District Sentinel. Hit subscribe on the YouTube channel too while you are here. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Facebook slash District Sentinel. Twitter at the DC Sentinel. Thanks to our sponsor, the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. Subscribers, we'll see you tomorrow for the Sentinel Hangout. We're here in DC so that you don't have to be.